The last few weeks we've been talking about the fear of the Lord, and uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit more today. Last, uh, the, the, the first week, our premise was that we have lost the fear of God in our lives and replaced it with the fear of man. And that fear of man encompasses many facets that bring habitual sin, a life of continual defeat, lack of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, an overall complacent and a narcissistic perspective of our life, meaning that God's rules are for others and so forth, that we don't even see our own sin sometimes because we don't think that God's going to judge us like he's going to judge everybody else. So that was week one, talking about learning about the fear of God and, and that significance and that we need to repl- uh, replace the fear of man that we so quickly and so often have and make sure that we keep our focus on the fear of God. Week two, last week, or the week before, uh, we talked about that as uh, having, uh, if we have a proper understanding and acceptance of the fear of God in my life, that I will live my life out of a love and admiration and a desire to please God because he is worthy of all of me and nothing less. I will not compromise. I will not make up my own rules. I will not question his love for me. And I will commit myself to love him with all my mind, body, and spirit. So those were the first two weeks. Today, we want to talk further about this fear of the Lord. And I think it's important that maybe we give it another name because I'm not so sure that we're understanding what the fear of the Lord is. Sometimes we use the word fear in too much of a negative context. I've been struggling trying to figure out what that word should be. Um, and maybe the best word that I can think of is respect with all capital letters. As much as you can respect something, you need to respect God. And uh, some other words that might fit in there would be to admire or admiration of God, that that we would esteem him, that we would have reverence of him, that we would worship him. You pick the word that means the most to you that gives the Lord all the honor you possibly can. That's the word you need to find. Whatever that word is, that's the word you need to think of. For me, I think of the fear of the Lord because the fear of God means all of that to me. It means all of that encompassed into my reverence for him and my willingness and my desire to want to please him and that I respect him. So I just want to make sure that we understand what we're talking about when we mean fear, that it's not a scary fear. It is a reverential awe, respect, admiration, worthy of all of our worship type of fear. Does that make sense? Is that clear? That, that's so important that we understand that. Last week we were down in Grand Rapids and we were at the human body exhibit and um, we saw there the amazing way that our bodies are made. It's just, it was absolutely, it, it, it blew us all away. You could not walk out of that two hours or so in that exhibit and not really understand and see the power of God. Now, I was going to show you some pictures today, but they're too graphic. <laughs> and I figured some people might not want to see a body dissected. <laughs> so I didn't do it. I, I, I didn't do it. But let me tell you a couple things here that, that might help you understand that the way God made our body is fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know that it takes an interaction of 72 different muscles to produce human speech? Seventy-two muscles have to be coordinated to say say one word. 
It also that human uh, a human thigh bone is stronger than concrete or steel. A bone. An average human scalp has 100,000 hairs. Now that's average. There's a few in here that I see are well below average, <laughs> including myself. But when we started, we had 100,000 hairs on our head. 15 million blood cells are destroyed in the human body every second. 15 million blood cells are destroyed in the human body every second. Human blood travels 60,000 miles per day on its journey through the body. 60,000 miles blood travels per day in my body and in your body. That's a lot of miles. This one will blow you away. The average human brain, again, we're talking average. <laughs> the average human brain has about 100 billion nerve cells. 100 billion nerve cells. How can anybody not walk away from that and have the fear of God? How can anybody in their right mind believe in evolution? That we came from an amoeba, a single cell being out of the sea that happened to somehow divide, somehow crawl up on the ground, and somehow develop themselves into 100 billion nerve cells. In my brain. It just, it just doesn't make sense to me. So therefore, I walk out of there with a fear of God in my life. A love for God. An aspiration, an admiration, a level of respect for this God that so wonderfully and fearfully made me. And he made you. And also flippantly, also flippantly we disregard him so many times. Wow. So my supposition today, what I want to talk today about is having a healthy fear of the Lord or a reverential respect or whatever word you want to put in there for fear, that we have that, when we have that, that is the beginning of living an intentional life of righteousness and holiness that is pleasing to God. On the contrary, a lack of this fear of the Lord or a disrespect of God will be the beginning of a sinful life ending in destruction and ruin. Let me read that again. Having a healthy fear of the Lord is the beginning of living an intentional life of righteousness and holiness that is pleasing to God. On the other side of that, a lack of this fear of the Lord or a disrespect of God will be the beginning of a sinful life ending in destruction and ruin. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. The lack of fear is the root cause of sin, and an intentional life is pleasing the Lord with pure motives. That's my supposition today. But yet I see how many times we try to find our own way, our own self-religious, righteous religion, that we try to figure out how we can do it on our own, our own way, our own philosophies, that we judge ourselves by feeling that as long as I'm better than Joe Blow, I'm okay. 
As long as I can, I can convince myself that I'm not as bad as he or she, I'm going to make it. That I'm going to pass the spiritual grade. I'm going to get into heaven on my own merit. I'm going to get to heaven because I'm who I am and because God would never judge me that way. I have passed my own religious test. And in the end, I ask, what comes out of that? What comes out of that? Maybe in the beginning it seems all good that I might get away with it. As I'm starting off in life, as I'm starting down that path of self-righteousness, it might appear okay because the devil can allow things to happen. God allows things to happen. He allows things to happen to test you to say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with me? So, yeah, it might seem okay when I get started out that way. But if I never come into that fear of God, or if I never come to that decision point of having Jesus in my life, understand it will come to ruin and destruction. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to read verse 8, and then we're going to read verse 12. The first two verses says, The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears her down, tears hers down. Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly, but those who despise him are devious in their ways. Verse 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. And then finally, verse 12, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs then goes on later to say that a man that is good at planning his own way and in our plans, we have, we have ways of justifying what it means for us to make them seem right. We can manipulate the details to, for them to be whatever we want them to be, even to the point of self-deception. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good at that. I do that a lot in my life. And I've been convicted through this significantly as the last few weeks have been going on. Proverbs chapter 16, the first two verses says, To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Keep your finger there. If you turn into your Bible, keep your finger there. We're going to come back to that in a minute, but we're going to go to some other places. The motives of the, of the heart are very important here because I am not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about how we can live a perfect life because if that's what I'm talking about, we're never going to do it. Nobody here is qualified or can leave a perfect life. So I don't even want to think that you have to begin there because that will be frustration and that will be disaster to you to think that you have to live a perfect life. What the Lord measures is the motives of our heart. I think we can have do a lot better with our perfection of our motives than we can with our actions because I think I can have a proper motive a lot easier than control my tongue because my tongue can slip in a minute. I can, I can let things out of, my, out of my mouth so quick. My mind just isn't quick enough to grab that thought sometimes. The filter just wasn't turned on quick enough. And all of a sudden, that word's out there. And when that word's out there, I can't bring it back. Or my action may be just as quick. But the Lord examines the motives of our heart. And it's very, very important that we understand that because I cannot hide the motive of my heart from God. I might hide it from you. You may not know the motives of my heart, but God knows the motives of my heart. 
And God looks at my actions with the filter of a motive. He looks at my actions and say, well, what did you really mean by that, Mike? What were you really trying to do with that? It might be that I might have done a good thing. I might have done something to help somebody. But if the motive there was to make me look good, then I think I've just disqualified my, my reward. I think I've just lost it. At the same time, I may have a, re, I may have a motive of doing good, and, and that old tongue can slip. And the Lord can say, I'll forgive you there. I know your motive wasn't right. I know your motive wasn't to hurt that person. I know that wasn't your motive. So it's so important that we learn to understand that our motives are extremely important, probably more important than our actions. And it's much better that I learn to judge myself in this life as I go on rather than to allow deception to sneak in and betray me later. Psalms chapter 139, Psalms chapter 139, verses 23 through 24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. If I can begin to understand the significance and the importance of weighing my motives, if I can judge myself, then it will allow me uh, more grace in the end. That doesn't mean that I can judge you or you can judge me. I judge me. You judge you. And when we can judge ourselves personally, that way we can then have a better chance of being pleasing to the Lord because we're self-monitoring ourselves. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, 27 through 32, in the message translation, this is a scripture that we often read during communion, but I think it's one that we should really take to heart on a much more regular basis. Let me read this to you out of the message. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. Boy, read that again. Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy fear, in holy respect. If you give no thought, or worse yet, don't care, about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you even now are listless and sick, and others have gone to an early grave. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now than to face a fiery, a fiery confrontation later. Now, is there good wisdom in that? Does that make sense? And these are not my words. These are the Bible's words. So it makes a lot of good sense. So daily self-examination is not only important for our physical body to catch that early cancer or to not get ourselves too overly weight that we have to go on these huge diets. It makes more sense that we, that we take a daily uh, examination of ourselves physically and it takes as much sense that we do it spiritually. Why do we take care of our body physically better than we take care of our spirit. It doesn't make sense, but we need to. So with, this, so with this said, let's go back to Proverbs 16 and read the next verse where it says we also need to intentionally be pro- proactive in our commitment and our dedication 
to the living for the Lord. Proverbs 16, verses 3 and 4, it says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. Committing to the Lord whatever you do is an intentional act. We have to intentionally commit what we do. And he will establish our plans as we take that intentional commitment. How do we do this? How do we apply this to our life? You know, it's so easy to read the Bible on Sunday mornings and get all fired up. But then what do you do on Monday? What we talk about on church needs to be applied throughout the whole week. Here's one way I think that you can apply this. Most of the things that in, our, in our life, most of the things that, we can, that affect us, we cannot control. But one thing we can most of the time, and that's our attitude. When we have an attitude in our heart and life that we're not going to disrespect God, when we have a decision, when we are intentionally deciding that we're going to fear the Lord, respect the Lord, worship the Lord, we have much better chance of getting through Mondays through Fridays without having the major slips in our life, the major falls in our life. We're still going to have the temptations. We can't stop that from happening. The birds are still going to fly over our head. We can't stop that from happening. We're still going to have that. But when I have the attitude of the mindset, when I have that innate fear of the Lord or that reverential fear of the Lord with that intentional act of committing everything I do to God, it just helps me live a holy life. So think about this on Monday. Think of the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And on the contrary, the lack of this fear is the root cause of sin. Because when I don't have that in my mind, much easier am I to sin. Let's talk about that in just a minute. Let's go back to Psalms, chapter 36. Psalms, chapter 36, verses 1 through 4. The psalmist says, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own ways, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. The psalmist says that those that are uh, sinful, which... Our human nature is all sinful, but it says there is no fear of God before their eyes. The sinful man doesn't fear God. The sinful man places other things above God. In my Bible, it said about Psalms 36, it says that it identifies the root cause of sin as the failure to fear and honor God. Any society that commonly assumes that God will not discipline sin in this life or judge it in the next will have no fear of God and will therefore give itself increasingly to evil. Paul uses the same premise in the New Testament for those people that only believe the New Testament is for us Christians today, just so you know. Then Paul says the same thing. He says he goes through that same list, basically, of what the psalmist said. And then he talks about the underlying root of, of, of the sin, the cause of sin in their life, is Romans 3.18. Romans 3.18 says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
Where do you fall in this category? Now, I don't think that there are people in this congregation that are evil, that are incorrigible, that are just beyond help. I don't believe that at all. I believe we're all good people. I believe most of us, if not all of us in this congregation, are Christians, are saved. But that doesn't erase my sinful nature. Yes, the Bible says I'm a new man. Yes, it says that. But I'm still living in this world. I still have the issues. I still have the fight. I still have the battles of this world. It is not a natural feeling. It is not natural for us to have the God-given fear of the Lord. We lost that 6,000 years ago. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, that natural fear of the Lord was lost forever. Well, I shouldn't say forever. It's lost, on, it's lost in this world. It's lost in the fallen nature of this world. We have to learn the fear of the Lord now. We have to apply it in our life. It's not natural. Our natural man is sinful. No matter how good you are, no matter how well your life is going for you, the sinful nature is contrary to the fear of the Lord. And it has to be a learned response. It is something we have to practice every day. It has to be an, a, an intentional choice of ours every day to have the fear of the Lord. Now, on the positive side of that, once having a properly developed and healthy fear of the Lord, it yields heavenly or spiritual wisdom. And wisdom of this nature is vitally important in pleasing God, and it is a key ingredient in, a, in the blessings of our life. Job 28. I've got a lot of scripture here. But I really need to read it because the reason I like to read a lot of Bible is because I don't want you to think this is my idea. I don't want you to think I'm making anything up on my own. Because if you're going to argue with something, you argue with the Bible, okay? Not with me. So let's read Job chapter 28, verses 12 through 28. It says, But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir and precious onyx or lapis luzili. I love that word, lapis luzili. You know what that is? That's a blue gemstone, in case you didn't know. Lapis luzili. I love it. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Okay? Nothing compares with godly wisdom. That's what, that's what all that's saying. I know it's a lot of words in there, but you need to understand the significance of what God's word is saying. It says a lot of words sometimes because it's important. Okay, now let's continue on. God understands the way to it, that's the way to wisdom, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it, and he confirmed it, and he tested it, and he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. 
God understands where his wisdom, wisdom comes from. And he's telling us very clearly in his word that wisdom comes only by fearing or respecting the power and authority and the control of God. Psalms 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 10 through 12. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And through wisdom your days will be many, and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. How many more verses do we need? I just want to make sure you understand the urgency and the importance of having a lifelong, consistent, and growing level of godly fear or respect in our lives so that we can live an intentional life worthy, an intentional life living and pleasing a holy and righteous God. A God that is worthy of it all, a God that is, is desiring it, a God that deserves it. Proverbs chapter 2 is a great place to start looking for applicable ways to find and understand the healthy fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, it says, My son, we could, we could talk a long time about Proverbs chapter 2, but we won't, I promise you. So if you read, if you listen really close, we can get through this. My son, if you accept my words and start my commands within you, if you turn your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You have to have an intentional desire to find the will of God and find the fear of the Lord. And when you do that, when you diligently search for that, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair at every good path, for wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you. Understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse. All right, a lot of words, a lot of Bible. How do I apply it? How do I take that? How do I take that intentional living now into my life on a daily basis? We all love success stories. You know, I even heard it this week at the State of the Union address by President Obama. He said that the reason that he was where he was at and the reason that our vice president was where he was at and the speaker of the house where he was at today was because of the American dream. Because they had the choice and they worked hard and diligently to get where they were at, that they sacrificed and they gave so much up, but yet they were rewarded with it. Riley talked about it yesterday in our men's prayer breakfast about these, some of these false religions, and namely he talked about Islam and, and the Muslim faith. And the dedication and the commitment that these people have to their religion. They pray five times a day. I mean, they pray five times a day. Do you pray once? Well, you pray three times. I know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay, three times. Do you pray four times then? Let me ask you. But they pray five times a day. And it's not just a lay me down to sleep prayer. It's down on their, they're down on their knees. And they're rocking back and forth. And they're doing their thing before their Allah. 
The American dream, we sacrifice, we work, and we think it's great. We don't have any problem with people sacrificing everything they have to get the American dream, and, to, and, and that is to gain some wealth and some riches and to develop a career. But let me ask you the question, and this is the most important question anybody can ask you. How committed are you to Jesus? How committed are you to fearing this God that has wonderfully made us? See, that's the fear of God. And when I get that fear of God in me, life changes me. Now, next week I'm going to talk about the fear of the Lord again, but I'm going to talk about it in a really positive way. Because I'm going to talk about when I have that fear of the Lord, it generates a love in me. It generates a desire in me to want to please Him. But first I have to have that fear and that respect in him, uh, of Him in my life so that I never doubt it. I never want to go against it. I never doubt the significance of it. Scripture tells us at least nine times, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6.5, Deuteronomy 10.12, Deuteronomy 11.13, Deuteronomy 13.3, Deuteronomy 36, Joshua 22.5, Matthew 22.37, Mark 12.30, Luke 1027. They all say it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your understanding. Not one time could I, go, could I find anything in there that says love it with half. Love the Lord with half your heart. Love the Lord with half your understanding. Love the Lord with half your effort. I never found that one time in the Bible. All I heard was love him with all that you have. So there's the obvious question. Do you? Do I? And if I don't, why don't I? Thanks, Jackie. We're going to conclude. She saw the clock. She knew. But if I don't do that, why don't I? And why don't you? I'm not putting guilt on you. I'm not loading you down with, with a burden. I'm asking a good, solid question of you today and of me today. If the Bible says it nine times at least to do it, why don't I do it? Why don't you do it? Why do I compromise and say, I don't have to do that? There's no biblical perspective to say you can get away with half of it and still get into heaven or still live a blessed life in this life today. I'm not even, let's just talk about this life. How many things, how many times do you want God to answer your prayer? How, how, um, how much of a blessed life do you want to live in this life? Then do what he says. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What's interesting about that verse is that let's get our priorities straight. Seek first the kingdom of God. And what he says there, he says all these other things will be given to you as well. They're important. Our life is important. Our finances are important. Our health is important. God's not saying I'm not going to give them to you. What are you seeking first? That's the key. That's the intentional verse here. What are you seeking first? Are you seeking God first? Or are you seeking the things of this world first? So let's go back to the beginning supposition. Having a healthy fear of the Lord or a reverential respect is the beginning, not the end. Here, this is so important. It's the beginning of of living an intentional life of righteousness and holiness that is pleasing to God. 
Every day. Every day. On the contrary, a lack of this fear or a disrespect of God will be the beginning of a sinful life ending in destruction and ruin. What do you want your life to be? What do you want your outcome to be? You, desire, you, you determine your outcome today by how you live today. You don't determine your outcome tomorrow. You determine it today by how you live. If you want a life of blessing, if you want eternal life, if you want a life of, of anything but ruin, anything but ruin or destruction, then live for God. With all your heart, with all that you have, with reckless abandon, don't compromise. Don't compromise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. An intentional life is pleasing to the Lord with pure motives. Judge yourself on a regular basis. Get in the Word on a regular basis. Judge your heart. Work hard for God. You're not earning your salvation when you do that. I want you to know that. You're not earning your salvation. Your salvation is a free gift. But if you want it to last, then you have to, you have to turn the soil in your heart over a few times and plant some seeds of commitment. And then nurture those seeds. Water them every day. Keep that heart and that, that garden of your heart. Keep it weeded. Keep the... Uh, the garbage of this life out of your heart. You do that by guarding what you watch, guarding what you read, guarding what you put into your mind. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Father, I just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I know that sometimes it seems hard. But you know what's really more important that we understand that your word says the ways of the transgressor is hard. Not the way of a Christian man. Not the way of a Christian lady or a child or young person that wants to love you, wants to worship you. That's not hard. But it takes an intentional commitment on our life. So, Lord, I pray that you would just work in our hearts and lives. Give us that fear. Give us that reverence. Give us that respect of you. Help us to understand how beautifully and wonderfully we're made. And that we want to guard this temple. We want to guard this mind, this heart. And we want to live for you because we want a life of blessing and we want a life of eternity with you. We don't want risk of ruin or destruction. So Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. You give us a desire of our hearts to love you, to worship you. And Lord, I ask you this in your precious name, Jesus. As your precious name. Now go with us throughout this week. Bless us, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen.